man, Bible school was fun, uh, but man, it was a lot of work. And uh, thank you to all of our volunteers who came. And, you know, we had a couple people where well, we had one, 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 one of our volunteers had a, a tooth issue and had to go see a dentist in Cheyenne and couldn't make it. And everybody kind of pitched in and it was a, it was a team effort. And, uh, you know, we could not do that without Pastor Michael and uh, Joanne and Chrissy uh, leading the charge. I mean, he put in so many hours in the last two, three weeks getting, getting us all ready uh, all of us volunteers so we can look good <laughs> uh, during a vacation Bible school. It was what a great way to kick off the summer. Uh, thank you, parents, for, for bringing your kids. Now, um, someone said to me this week, whose big idea was it to study Job? <laughs> um, he said, I've, had, I've already studied it enough. In other words, I think what he was saying was, man, I've had enough struggles in my life. Um, you know, I, I, think, I, I think I'm done with the hard things. I really don't want any more. And, and I, I truly wish that we could make that call for God, but, but we don't get that option. Um, he's the one that decides what we need in our life and, and what we're going to endure and, and what suffering we're going to have and what suffering we're not going to have. And uh, it reminded me of a Far Side comic, uh, this Far Side comic right here. Uh, Mr. Osborne, may I be excused? My brain is full. And maybe some of us have smaller capacity for suffering than others. And you know what? I believe that God takes that into account. God knows each and every one of us. And though we may think to ourselves, I don't have any more capacity for hard things or suffering or, or struggle or whatever. Um, God knows you better than you know yourself. And, and we can trust him completely with that. Um, and, and this whole brain is full thing has to be where Job was at this point. And, and we're yet again uh, going to hear from Job's friends this morning and the encouragement that his friends are heaping into his life. And, and maybe that's what he was talking about. Like, can, can we go, can we, do we have to talk about the next, you know, 10, 12 chapters where, where Job's friends continue to, to give him encouragement? And my answer is yes, we do, because it's there for a reason. And God wants us to learn from all of this. We're not just going to skip through this. And, and, it, and it also reminds me of that Easter sermon, you know, when the, when the pastor says, it's Friday, right? It's Friday. I'm feeling like the middle of, of the book of Job is, is, is like Friday. Uh, you know, the, the, the disciples' king is dead, and, uh, and, and they don't know what else they're going to do. They're, they're, they're rescuer. He's dead, but things, don't all, things aren't always like they seem to be on the outside, are they? Because Sundays are coming. Sundays are coming, and the end of Job is, is going to be that way. But for now, we continue to struggle through, and, and Job and his friends have no idea what had transpired behind the curtain of heaven in the throne room, throne, throne room of God. But, but we do. We're privy to that conversation. Now, in VBS, we, we focused on the armor of God all week long. And why do we need the armor of God? Because we're in a battle, right? We are in a battle. But that battle, according to the Bible, isn't or shouldn't be flesh against flesh. That's not where the true battle is. The, the battle that we are fighting, it may manifest itself between us in, in many ways, but the real battle, the real battle that's occurring in Job's life with, with him and his friends and, and his family and, and between him and God, it's a spiritual battle. And, and as we begin this morning, I want everybody to turn to the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. First and second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. And, and I hope that you have these marked in some way, uh, maybe underlined, maybe starred, maybe you've highlighted it as you've studied the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 13. Finally, Paul says, Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. This is exactly what Job is doing. Job is, well, he's in a heap in, in, in the city dump at the moment, but Job is 
coming against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. That's where Job is right now. The devil's schemes, they're full on. And he's standing. Well, I mean, he's doing his best. Um, and, and as do we. And, and I would hope that, that, when, that when it's easy to stand, it's in those moments when we're, we're uh, putting on and building up our armor so that when those schemes do come, we're ready. We're going to talk about being ready today. Dads uh, and, and moms and kids as well, of course. But as we honor our dads today, um, I, I want to challenge you with this. We, we need to lead the charge in this. We, we need to have on the armor of God. We need to be re- prepared to stand in the gap for our family. We need to be at the front. We need, a, we need to be on the front lines and have our families behind us as we take up the sword and hold the shield and fight for, for them, protecting them as God commands against the attacks of the enemy. And, and we don't have to look far to see that, that he's on attack, right? I mean, it's pretty obvious in the world that we live in that, that Satan is alive and well and doing what he can to steal, kill, and destroy. There are battlefronts all around us, and, and we have to, we have been given the weapons that we need to fight. We just need to take them up. We just need to put them in our hands. We need to go to battle for, not with, our families. We need to go to battle for, not with, our families. So now let's turn uh, back into the Old Testament to the book of Job as we continue in chapters 18 through 21 today. We're, we're basically going to be in 18 and 20, or 18 and 19. Um, and, and in chapter 18, we find Bildad's uh, second speech. Last week, we looked at uh, Eliphaz's second speech. And just like Eliphaz, Bildad is ruthlessly attacking Job, telling him he needs to be respectful. Man, I don't know why. I, I, I mean, I, I. Bildad decides that Job just isn't getting the message. That, that he's wicked and that he needs to repent. And we are, again, we're, we're told more than once at the beginning of this book that, that Job was a righteous man before God. That God himself referred to him as a righteous man. This didn't happen to him because of sin in his life. And Bildad just says he's not getting the message. And, and so now, since he's not getting the message from just kind of conversation, Bildad is, is moving into trying to frighten Job by describing to him what happens when wicked people die. He, he, he begins to explain to Job um, death. Now, fear, fear is a, is a normal thing. Fear can be a very healthy thing. You know, we want our children to fear hot stoves, lest they put their hands on them. Um, we, we, we tell our kids that if they don't wash their hands, uh, you know, they could get sick. If they don't brush their teeth, their teeth will fall out. Um, there's a little fear involved in that, right? Um, you know, if you swallow those pumpkin seeds, pumpkins will grow in your stomach. I don't know. It just came to my mind. Um, you, you want to teach them not to put their hands in places they shouldn't? That was a conversation at Vacation Bible School. My, my fingers took a, a whole new uh, conversation piece on, in, in Bible school. Um, or, you know, we should fear not wearing a mask in an attic when we're blowing insulation. Because it's not good for us. Um, bad things will, will happen in the future if we don't do that. We, sh- we should fear what, what happens when those things uh, occur? Fear is normal and, and can also be helpful. And being afraid of an eternity separated from God? Now, you may not fear that, but you should. Um, that is a legitimate 
fear because hell is a real place. And the judgment of God on those who aren't covered by the blood of Jesus is not something that any of us should want to experience. I mean, I've heard people say, well, you know, I'll see you in hell or I'm going to party in hell. Well, you know what? I'm pretty sure that's not going to be a party. That's a lie. That's a lie. Um, so this guy, you know, he's, he's trying to decide whether he wants to go to heaven or hell. And, and so Peter takes him up the elevator into heaven. And in heaven, there are all these people and they're, they're singing and they're worshiping. It's, it's pretty calm. This is a terrible description, but it's pretty calm. And, you know, and then, and then Peter's like, well, let me show you what, what the other place. So they go down, they, they go down to the basement and, and the doors open and there's all of these people and they're, they're partying and they're, you know, they're having fun and, and they're, they're, you know, gambling and playing car. I mean, all this, all this stuff. And so they go back up to the main level and, and Peter's like, so, so what's your decision? And then he goes, well, I want to, Hell looks like a lot more fun, so I, I want to go to hell. So he takes him down there, and when the doors open, it's, it's hot. It's nothing. It's, it's, it's dark. Uh, he can feel the oppression come over him. And he's like, what, well, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What's, what is this? And he goes, what, what happened to all of that other stuff? And he goes, oh, we were recruiting then. This is what it actually is. You see, the lies of Satan... They're the real deal. They are the real deal, and we need to, uh, we need to consider that. Uh, the fear of dying without having a relationship with Jesus is a valid fear. Jesus preached about that fear. In Matthew 10, 28, Jesus said, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Yes, Jesus preached about grace and mercy and love and forgiveness, but he also preached a message of judgment because it's the reality. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 5.11, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. Paul's like, we... we we understand that fear, and, and we know what happens. Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon titled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And, and he was asked about that, and he said, look, um, fear needs to be a part of how we realize that we're depraved sinners, but one of the things that Jonathan Edwards said was, we better preach that message gently, with love not with judgment and, and hate and, and, uh, and just strictly fear. Our hearts must be tender when we're preaching about the doom of the lost, speaking the truth in love. Bildad describes how Job should be afraid to die. He's obviously wicked. This is Bildad's version of Job and, and doesn't believe in God. So, so he is like someone who is not covered by the blood of Jesus, except the fact that that Job is. Job is righteous before God. And as before in the speeches of Job's friends, there is truth and good warning, and we're going to get that today. Uh, he's just talking to the wrong man with the wrong motives. Here's the gist of what Bildad is saying. First of all, he's saying that the death of someone who is opposed to God is a sad day. That's sort of my interpretation of it. And it is. It, it should break our heart when we know somebody who doesn't know Christ and they take their last breath on this planet. If we know people who don't know Christ, it should break our heart that they don't. And we should pray for them and we should do what we can to try and get the message of the gospel to them. Um, so first of all, Bildad explains death in four ways. First of all, he says, death is a light put out. It is a light put out. Verse five, uh, chapter 18, the lamp of a wicked man is snuffed out the flame of his fire stops burning. The light in his tent becomes dark. The lamp beside him goes out. And since God alone gives life to everything, and in him we live and move and have our being, the picture here is the sudden darkness that happens in a lantern or when a flame goes out. There's no longer any breath. Um, and therefore, no longer any potential for belief and salvation and redemption. Because when we take our last breath, the time of making a decision is over. 
There is no time left. And the question that I have under this point is, are you ready for your last breath? If your last breath was today, are you ready? Will you die in darkness like the wicked, or will you face Jesus in heaven as one who has been covered by the blood of Jesus? A light put out. And, and later, actually, as, uh, as uh, who's the other friend? Um, Zophar. I love their names, right? Zophar. Um, later in, in chapter 20, um, Zophar is talking about, again, he, he visits the, the thing that says, um, all of the wicked die and live a short life, and all of the righteous live a good life, and he's just wrong. Because we all live and breathe in this planet. And another sort of statement that came across my mind that I've heard uh, before this week was that life on earth uh, is as close to heaven as a non-believer will ever get. And life on earth is as close to hell as a believer will ever be. It's true, isn't it? We need to think about these things as we think about death. Now, the second thing Bildad says uh, as he describes the death of someone opposed to God, who he assumes is Job, who we know isn't, is, is it, they're like a traveler trapped. They're, they're frightened of death. Uh, when, when, we get, when, when they're frightened of death, one leaves his, his or her tent and heads down the road looking for a place of safety. But what they really find is that as they travel that road looking for something that can't be found on that road, they end up in the most dangerous place of all, where all of the traps are. Maybe you feel like that today. Maybe you're somebody who says, if I even think about death, it's going to happen. Well, we can't will ourselves into death by our mere thinking as much as we can will a sports team to win a game by just thinking it. Now... Admittedly, I'm not superstitious. I'm just a little stitious. Okay? Uh, we, we had this conversation just the other night in game five of the NBA Finals. My wife, Sarah, is like, I can't watch because I haven't watched any of the games yet. And if I watch this one, they're going to lose. See, we have this conversation a lot because it feels, it feels like that. I turn the game on and the Rockies start losing. Well, that happens to everybody these days, right? <clears throat> no, we can't avoid talking about death because we need to be prepared for death. We need to be prepared. I've talked to people who's, who had a parent die and they didn't do anything to prepare for their death. Nothing. Not, I'm not talking spiritually in this case. I'm, I'm talking um, financially, paperwork-wise, and they left their children a disaster. Why? I don't know. Maybe it just wasn't. Maybe they thought if they prepared for it, then it would just be right around the corner. But that's not the case. God has our days numbered. Not us, not, not well, okay, you, you drive 150 miles an hour down a, down a dirt road. Maybe you are taking your life into your own hands. Um, look at verses 7 through 10. Uh, a traveler trapped. Um, his feet thrust him into a net, a snare, a trap. Robbers, terrors, a, a snare, a trap. No matter what we invent in our lives to try and find safety and comfort, without Jesus Christ, there ultimately is no peace to be found. A light put out, a traveler trapped, and Bildad's third description is that of a criminal pursued. The frightened criminal still tries to keep going, but instead gets weaker and weaker and weaker. I, I, I don't get modern criminals these days. They try to run from the police in their car, and I'm like, there's a helicopter in the air. Where are you going to go? They have radios. You know, you can't outrun a radio. They, 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 they jump out of their car and start running across the field. Where do you think you're going to go? 
um, but they continue to try. Um, and, and if he goes back to his tent, he is found and everything is taken away from him. This is in Bildad's description. His, his tent is burned and all is scattered and sulfur is spread over the ashes. The end of that man is fire, fire and brimstone. I, I mean, that's a pretty dramatic description, isn't it? And, and Bildad's fourth description isn't quite as dramatic um, like some people's lives. You know, we don't live dramatic lives. Uh, it's, it's more like a tree rooted up, he says in verses 16 through 21. Verse 16, his roots dry up below and his branches wither above. The memory of him perishes from the earth. He has no name in the land. He is driven from light into the realm of darkness and is banished from the world. He has no offspring or descendants among his people, no survivor where once he lived. People of the West are appalled at his fate. Those of the East are seized with horror. Surely such is the dwelling of an evil man. Such is the place of one who does not know God. How encouraging to Job. Now, it is truth nonetheless. Uh, in, verse 20, in verse 21 there, in the end, the word know is used in a redemptive sense. And, and here, Bildad is applying it to an unbeliever. So Bildad lowers the boom on his closing words, just like Eliphaz did. But he doesn't just consider Job guilty of wicked deeds. He's implying that Job has no knowledge of God at all. And, and I think it's important that we remember right now in this passage that Satan is alive and well in this situation. Um, doing whatever he has been given power to do in order to make false accusations, for he is the father of all lies. You know, they, they often say, you know, how you can tell when a politician is lying, right? It's the same with Satan. You know how you can tell when Satan is lying? He opens his mouth. He opens his mouth. John 8, 44. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The death of a tree in this case represents a man's whole family tree, all of the branches that are coming off of it. And that seems to have happened to Job, right? I mean, he lost all of his children. His family tree is back down to him and his wife. And in the East, the, the, the extinction of a family was viewed as a, a great, great tragedy. It, even here in the West, it is a great tragedy. And Job earlier had used a tree to illustrate the hope of the resurrection in chapter 14, verses 7 through 11. But Bildad disagreed. According to Bildad, once a tree is down, that's the end. Once a tree is wicked, there's no hope for it. The wicked man has no future hope. Bildad, again, is talking to the wrong man with the wrong message. But he may be talking to some of us here today. But, but we should still take what he says here seriously. Death is an enemy to be feared that we need to be prepared for. And the only way to be prepared is to trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. John 5, 24, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. You see, there is hope. There is hope for, for even those who are wicked and who are lost today. There, there is hope. Um, more on that in, in a few minutes, but first I want to look at Job's response. In chapter 19, Job continues his attempts to get his friends to truly see his heart, to see how much pain he is in, to see his suffering, to understand where he is. Have some empathy, guys. So he once again describes the trials of his life. Job describes the trials of his life. He says, I don't have to die to experience suffering. Job says, I'm experiencing suffering right now. 
And you guys don't even seem to care. How long, verse 2, will you torment me and crush me with words? With insults. Our words either hurt or heal. And we all can see what Job's friends' words are doing here. They're shooting the wounded. Their words were crushing him, attacking him, humiliating him. And may we take note. Because even if people do need correction, that correction must be made in love. You know, a, a phrase that James Dobson used to say that I learned when I was actually in junior high, I, I believe. Um, he said, rules without relationship equals rebellion. And that's true as a parent, as a father. If you have rules, but yet you don't have a relationship with your children, those rules, they're going to push the kid into rebellion. And we have to have a relationship with our kids. There has to be a connection. And that's true with anybody else that we're trying to share Jesus Christ with. We need to be putting in the time and the effort to build up the relationship so we even have a right to speak into their life. And if we do have a relationship, we can't be afraid to share the truth of the gospel. Uh, in verse 4, Job says, If it is true that I have gone astray, my error remains my concern alone. And, and he's referring here to unintentional sin. He's saying, look, if there is sin in my life, I will deal with it. And, and I believe that he probably has already had that conversation with God. God, is there any wicked way within me? Is, is, is there any chance that this is correction, that this is discipline? And I'm sure he was assured by God, no, this is not. And then Job gives his own illustrations. Um, he, it, it kind of mimics Bildad's, actually. Um, look at verse 6. Uh, he feels like an animal trapped. I mean, he is kind of in God's trap, so to speak. Trap's a bad word, but it, it's for godly reasons that God is, is doing this. And, and it truly is for good. Uh, he feels like an animal trap. Verse 7, he feels like a criminal in court. Though I call for help, there is no justice. Uh, he feels like a traveler fenced in in verse 8. Satan had told God that, that Job was faithful to him because God had fenced him in. Right? God has put a, a hedge of protection around you, around Job. And, and that's why. And, and now Job is complaining because it seems that God has blocked his path. He, he can't see what's coming, and sometimes God does that, right? He, ex, he allows us to experience things in our life where we don't see the future. We can't see the end. All we can see is darkness. And, and, and maybe he gives us enough light to see the next step. And we trust him, and we trust him, and we trust him. And he keeps us on the right path. And that's when we need to show patience with God because he will show us light in his time. May we follow Isaiah's wisdom when he said in verse 10 of chapter 50, who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. used to say, never doubt in the darkness what God has taught you in the light. Be a great thing to write down. Never doubt in the darkness what God has taught you in the light. Because in that darkness, that's where Satan is twisting the words of God and, and he's tempting you and he's teasing you with something and he's lying straight to your face. In fact, what God teaches us in the light will become even more meaningful in those times of darkness. 
All of us can relate or have related to some of Job's descriptions. Here is a list of the rest, and I'm just going to run through them. Uh, verse 9, a king dethroned. He feels like a king who's been knocked off of his throne. Verse 10, he, he feels like a structure that's been destroyed, a tree that's been uprooted. And then in verses 11 and 12, he feels like a besieged city. It just, it just is coming and coming and coming and coming. I mean, it's, it's, it's not just raining. It's raining cats and dogs and ducks and, and hail and, um, you know, whatever I mean, Job is struggling. He just can't understand why God has sent so much suffering his way. I mean, why use an atomic bomb to destroy a tent? That's how he feels. And sometimes we feel that way, don't we? And, and maybe you're in the middle of something like that right now. And, and I just want to encourage you, keep on trusting in Jesus. Because the enemy wants you to let go. The enemy wants you to walk away. The enemy wants to convince you that it's a lie and God doesn't care about you. And that is absolutely a lie. God sent his son to die for you. That's how much he loves you. But we also need to be honest with God and we need to let him know what, what we're struggling with. Not in an arrogant way where we demand answers and expect reasons but where we pour out our heart to him and in how we're feeling and what we're experiencing. And then we anchor ourselves to him and we will experience peace. It will come. Peace will come. In fact, Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He will walk with you. In fact, I would venture to say he, he will even carry you part of the way. Insults, illustrations, and then in verses 13 through 22, Job describes his feelings of isolation. We can just feel so alone, can't we, when we're in misery and suffering and hurt, grief. We can just, we, we, we often can feel alone. And, and some of that is self-imposed because when we go through something, instead of reaching out to somebody and asking them to help us, we just pull up our, our boots by our bootstraps and we say, I can do this myself. Or, or I, I don't want them to know that I'm struggling with something or that I have doubts, so I'm just going to distance myself from them and figure this out on my own. And when we do that, that's right where Satan wants us to be. See, he wants to single you out of the herd so that you're out there on an island all to your own. I mean, Job did that, right? He, where, where did, he didn't stay in his house. He went out to the city dump. Verse 13. He has, this is chapter, this is chapter 19. He has alienated my family from me. My acquaintances are completely estranged from me. My relatives have gone away. My closest friends have forgotten me. Or I wish they'd go away. <laughs> my guests and my female servants count me a foreigner. They look on me as on a stranger. I summon my servant, but he does not answer, though I beg him with my own mouth. How isolated and alone can you feel? And maybe you're there right now and it may seem like nobody cares or even notices. And if you're somebody who knows somebody who is there, man, reach out to them. Send them a text. Pray for them over the phone. Go visit them. Drop in on them. God wants all of us to be a part. And, and what usually happens is you're somebody who has already suffered something pretty serious and when you come alongside someone else who is suffering something serious, you at least know some of the feelings. You can't say I know how you feel because you don't, but you've been in a similar situation before and this is how I felt. And they can say, yes, that's exactly how I feel or no, I really feel like this. Are you encouraging them or are you alienating them? 
We need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us out with that. Job's desperation and description of isolation returns me to that statement. He is at Friday. It's Friday. It's Friday. It's Friday and it hurts. But you know what? Sunday's coming. Sunday is a coming. And throughout Job's interactions with his friends, he makes several statements of faith that we need to remember. One of those statements, of course, is at the beginning of his suffering in chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. And he says this, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Another one occurs in our passage today. Look at verse 23 and following. Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. Let's stop right there. Why would he want that? I I wonder if he wants that because he thinks he's not going to survive the day and and he wants to somehow know that that whatever his experience was, experiencing was was vindicated by God. Uh, Interesting that they are, right? We have them right here. They were. Job's words were recorded. They were written on a scroll. And eventually a page of paper. Verse 25, he says this, I know that my Redeemer lives. And that in the end, he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I know that my Redeemer lives. Our Redeemer lives. Our Redeemer lives. Multiple times throughout the book of Job, there are foreshadows of the coming Messiah. He's heard stories or he's, uh, he, he's read at least a couple of the Old Testament books at this point in time. And he, he knows that God exists. He knows that God is real. He, he's serving him. But I don't think he has a sense of what God is ultimately going to do in Jesus Christ yet He knows exactly what he needs. (laughs) He needs a redeemer. And he says right here that his redeemer lives. One who would come to redeem those who are lost. The one who did what only he could do in order to restore us back to God. That is Jesus Christ. One who is our advocate before God. One who will vindicate Job. Who will indeed redeem us. In the Old Testament, Redeemer is in reference to Leviticus and Deuteronomy and and a relative who redeems a widow or a criminal or even land is somebody who, who steps in. In the book of Ruth, Boaz is Ruth's kinsman Redeemer. He willingly rescues Ruth and gives her a new life and a new land and that's exactly what Jesus does for us, when you add this to the hope that Job is holding on to, it adds to the power of the moment, doesn't it? it? It adds to Job's witness hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus came and did that very thing. Because Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. He took upon himself a human nature so that he could reveal God to us and experience what we experienced. Then he died. He surrendered himself to death on a cross. And paying the price, that death, he paid the price for all of our sins. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus became sin for us. He he knew no sin, but he became sin for us so that in him, when we surrender our life to him, when we believe in him, when we hang on to him, we would become the righteousness of God. 
And then Jesus resurrected himself and was returned to the Father in heaven where he represents us. He is our advocate. When we trust him as our savior, he, be, he becomes our advocate. He becomes our referee before the Father. Hebrews 9, 26 through 28 says it this way. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to all those who are waiting for him. Man. Jesus is willing to save, and he is able to save. And one day, when the final judgment of all things and all people happens, Jesus will vindicate his own people. That's us. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you will, though it may not seem like life is fair today in this world as you live and breathe, when we go from this world to the next, God will take care of the wrongs. He will write the wrongs. And, and now here for the next 10 minutes, uh, Dan Sherrow is going to come up and, and share with us his story. Doesn't normally speak in front of big crowds like this. Doesn't bother me. Oh, okay. Probably don't even need that. I speak loud enough. Oh, no, you need this. <laughs> People out there can't hear you. If you don't speak into this. Yeah, I don't think so. Awesome. Well, good morning, everybody. My name's Daniel Shrow. Been coming to church here for a little over two years. And man, he makes it hard to get up after him. What a strong message this morning. Just, geez, he makes it difficult. So I'm just going to kind of try to stick through this without crying. I said I wouldn't cry in front of everybody here, so don't tease me. Or do. That's all right. So, started out August 9th of 2020. <clears throat> I was a deputy sheriff here in Goshen County. Um, I was on hospital duty. And uh, I had an inmate that uh, just decided he didn't want to be in the company of me anymore. So, he decided to run. He, uh, he left the hospital in a pretty big hurry. So, so did I. Um, I was in a foot pursuit. And... It was a long pursuit. When I finally caught up with him about a mile and a half after jumping through people's backyards and over their fences and through a fence or two, um, I'm kind of like a bull in the china shop. I didn't stop. The fence did. I didn't. I just kept we're going right through it. So finally caught him, and I was pretty agitated, tired, winded, all of the thoughts of my head going through, hey, at least I'm breathing. And uh, my right arm started to hurt. Well, you know, I figured maybe it was just uh, me just jumping fences, maybe pulled something, had a bunch of adrenaline. Come to find out, I had blown all the nerves in my right arm. So six surgeries later, and not being able to return to my dream job because I had permanent damage, still do to this day. Uh, my demeanor as a man, husband, and father, and a friend was gone. Um, I didn't feel like I didn't really have anything left in life for me. So I went into a dark place, very dark place, mentally and spiritually. Uh, I had nothing, or so I thought. November of 2021, um, we as a family decided to renew our faith and start coming back to church. Um, and we, as we were renewing our faith, I started to feel better, started to have a better outlook on life. Well, President Day, President's Day of 2022, uh, Satan decided to show back up on our doorstep. Uh, he reared his ugly head, and I was diagnosed with stage 3 throat cancer. Life was turned upside down again for us. Uh, why was I here? But I didn't give up. I kept working on my relationship with God. Uh, April 13th of 2022, I had a major surgery that took just about all of me. 
Uh, ICU was no joke. The surgery itself was no joke. Um, and the devil just wasn't done testing me. Um, he said, well, here's radiation and chemo to go along with this. Um, I physically became a shell of a once proud man. I could not even stand to look in the mirror. Uh, who was this worthless, useless person I was looking at? I was really disgusted with the sight of myself. So, and I was vulnerable. First time in my life I ever felt vulnerable. But I held on. And just like Pastor David just got done saying in Job, um, 25 to 27, oh, verse 19, 25 through 27, know that my Redeemer, Redeemer lives, and that then he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet my flesh I will see God. I will see myself, I, myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. Now my heart yearns within me. During this whole time of me, I was a pretty bad person to be around. I had no good outlook on life. I, I had nothing, or what I thought. My beautiful wife, Kayla, my littles, the, the little terrors that I like to run through here, they all stayed by my side. Um, and I'm not quite sure why they did. Um, it was the darkest times of my life. And it dawned on me, this is God's work to test me and make me a better man. So I started looking up to him. Lord, what is your plan for me? I had no clue, so let's fast forward to today. By the grace of God, he helped me overcome my suffering and defeat the devil. I'm cancer-free, back to being a man, back to being proud, a man of faith and a man with purpose. I have something to do. Um, I have gained new friendships. I've renewed and found the passion and love that my wife had first built our marriage on. My littles said, hey, go away, welcome them in with open arms. Um, and it was kind of like a factory reset. The Lord was cleansing me. He says, let's just start all over. The way you were living before didn't work, so let's just start over. And we did. And sitting here in this room, Oh, it was about a year ago, it dawned on me. It was just after my surgery, my major surgery, that I'm, I'm here, I'm back. And, and think this is all to Jesus. He gave everything. And then he gave me my life back. Um, in Psalm 23, 1 through 6, everybody knows, knows this, or should, that the Lord is my shepherd, and I lack nothing. He makes me lay down. In green pastures, he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I was in the depths in the deepest part of that darkest valley. But by the grace of God, here I am. I, I have appreciated very strong words from Pastor David, Pastor Michael, Pastor Young. So much knowledge in this room, so much knowledge in this building, just to help us further our walk with the Lord. And I really appreciate everybody's ear this morning. And all I can say is just keep praying. And uh, all is good in the ways of the Lord. Thank you for your time this morning. Amen. Uh, my Redeemer lives. So before we sing this last song, I was going to do this after the song, but uh, before this last song, I want to just ask you a couple questions. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready to die? Are you ready to live? Uh, if you haven't already, put your full trust 
in Jesus as your Savior. Um, it, 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 it takes only a simple prayer. There's no magic words. Uh, it's an attitude of our heart. Um, and and maybe, maybe even just right now, you would tell, tell Jesus that I do believe that you are the Messiah. I do, the, I do believe that in history you came and that you died and that you rose again and that you are alive today. And having tried and attempted to live my life myself, I recognize now that I'll just continue to mess it up. Jesus, I, I, I surrender myself to you. with all of my heart and with all of my soul, with all of my mind and all of my strength. Help me to love you. And just as when we, those of us who are married, stood on a stage and said, I do and I do, and, and all of those other things that we committed to and had no absolutely no idea what all of that really meant, but we're working that out and we're living that through, that's what it's like when we surrender our life to Jesus Christ. That's the beginning. And he will lead you. He will guide you. And now let's close with this, this song, uh, My Redeemer Lives.